Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Andrew. I'm one of the ministers here. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can come here and think more about what it means to be human and your plans for us. I pray, Lord, that you would calm my nerves and you would lift our hearts, our minds, our sight to you and the glorious hope that we have. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Peter said earlier in the service, we have come to our last talk in the series on being human. We will look through the lens of the CBR, of the created, broken, and restored. But really today, we're landing on the restored accent of things. Today, we will move quickly through the first of the two, of created and of broken. We'll look at restored but broken, and then final restoration. And in all of this, as we are looking forward, we will not be minimizing the reality of today. Suffering and death and pain are a real pain, isn't it? We can't ignore it. There is something in us that tells us things are not right. Often people object to God for allowing pain and suffering and death into this world. Why does God allow all these terrible things? What is he doing in all of this mess? These objections can sometimes be understandable. We aren't privy to what God knows. We don't see the editor's footnotes in the story of history. We may not know what the author is doing in some moments. But it is curious that at least Christianity as a worldview has something to say about suffering while others don't. When faced with the finality of death, other secular worldviews don't really have an answer. Other worldviews have different creation stories and different future stories that don't or can't handle suffering. One dominant view is that in the beginning was nothing, and that exploded and created everything. And in the end, it goes back to nothing. You can try and consume and seek pleasure now, make up your own standards and purpose, find your own meaning. But in the end, there is nothing. It all goes back to the heat death of the universe. Another view is that in the beginning is power and forces. There are powers and forces and laws that run the universe and the world that we are in. Star systems and ecosystems are governed by these laws. Life cycles are ruled by these powers, by these impersonal forces. The strong are the ones who survive. History is written by the victor. We live in a world of inequality, and so the powerful have to take control to survive themselves and maybe to help redistribute to those in need. Near the end of Orwell's 1984, a high-ranking member of the Fort Police puts forward their future story in what a world governed and controlled by power might look like. 
He says, There will be no love except the love of big brother. There'll be no laughter except the laugh of triumph over a defeated enemy. There'll be no art, no literature, no science. When we are omnipotent, we shall have no more need of science. There'll be no distinction between beauty and ugliness. There'll be no curiosity, no enjoyment of the process of life. All competing pleasures will be destroyed. But always, do not forget this, always there will be the intoxication of power, constantly increasing and constantly growing more subtle. Always, at every moment, there will be the thrill of victory, the sensation of trampling on an enemy who is helpless. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. That is one bleak future ruled by power. But without God, our future, our sense of justice and fairness, our view of death and meaning is meaningless. We go back to nothing, or only the strong survive. But in our passage from the end of the Bible, we are given a glimpse at where things are headed. Pain and suffering and death are real for now. But one day, God will deal with it in the end and remove all of it. The whole story of the Bible is one of redemption, restoration, reconciliation. It is about how God is bringing people back to himself. The answer to both questions, where are we from and where are we headed, is the same. God. Our ultimate origins are in God, and our ultimate end is in God as well. T.S. Eliot wrote, in my end is my beginning. Our final destination is the same as where we started. Our creation story begins with love. God is love and creates a good world with people for him to be in relationship with him. God made a world with trees and dirt and streams. There's good food and other resources like gold and resin. And people were given the breath of life from God. And they were made very good. They were given work to do in the garden and to tend to it and to multiply. And they had access to the tree of life. But men and women disobeyed the one rule. And in doing so, in exercising their wills in rebellion to God... They were punished for it, and that caused a huge tidal wave of issues for humans ever since. Our relationship with God was broken. Our relationship with each other is broken. Even how we relate to the earth and ourselves is broken. Death and sin and shame enter this world, and we hide from God. We hide from each other and ourselves. But God sought our way forward. In the story of the Bible, we see that he then created a people for himself. He chose to reveal himself to them and made promises about someone who would come and save people from their rebellion. And this crazy thing was, this person who came was God himself. And this is what we remember at Christmas time. The moment when God wrote himself into the story of humans as a human. God was joined to a placenta in the womb. The first woman came out of Adam, 
but the last Adam came out of a woman. And he was really human. He took on flesh. He had the wobbly bits under your arms here. He had hair in his nose. He stubbed his toe. He got pins and needles when he sat down for too long. He knew hunger and tiredness. He was let down by others. He knew what it was to be misunderstood. It is this crazy idea, but I am thankful that we remember this great miracle every year at Christmas. God became man. Emmanuel. God values humans so much that he became one of them. And as he lived, he grew and showed us what it means to be a true human. Now, Jesus may not have had the highest IQ in the room. The higher your IQ does not mean you are more human. The Messiah did not have to be the smartest person around. Jesus may not have been the strongest or the best looking person either. As the stronger or better looking you are, does not make you more human. But Jesus was the true human. He was the most human, and he showed us what that meant. And any understanding we have about what it means to be a human needs to factor into Jesus, who was the perfect human. And he showed us the way of love. He was dependent on the Father. He spoke the truth. He went about restoring people. He gave of himself, he worked and he served. For loving God and loving others is what we are called to do as humans. But Jesus also knew he had to die for the humans of the world. There's this interesting verse in Luke 9.51. It says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven... Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus knew he was going back to heaven. He was going back to the Father. But to go there, he had to go via Jerusalem. Jesus knew he was the only way he could rightly restore people back to God. For he was the perfect human who had never sinned. And he was willing to take the punishment for everyone else. So he resolutely set out for Jerusalem knowing it would be hard, knowing that he would suffer and die there. But he did that for his people, his bride, the church. The first Adam, though guilty, said, don't blame me, blame my wife. The last Adam, though innocent, said, don't blame my wife, blame me. Now Jesus did achieve all that he had set out to do. He completed a task, he conquered sin and death. He then sent his people on a mission to spread the good news about salvation to the ends of the earth. God's people were given work to do, but this time it wasn't gardening. This time it was about spreading the news about Jesus and multiplying disciples. This message of redemption and restoration and reconciliation is not just words, it is life-transforming. This changes our identities in how we think about ourselves and who we are as humans. As we live this alternative lifestyle, we join non-conforming communities where we learn more and more about how to live with this new sense of self. 
how we are to relate to others, how do we express our sexuality, how do we view our work in this world, how do we approach death, and all of that, that we have covered this term. And this message of Jesus has the power to change our behaviors and inclinations. The major narrative in our world today says to be yourself. On Thursday, I was shopping with Hannah, and I saw this doctrine printed in the temple walls of Ikea, saying, free to be you. I took that photo. This is what we are told today, to look within and choose your next steps. Use your freedom to be who you are meant to be. By choosing the appropriate storage solution, you are clearly demonstrating you are in control of your own destiny. But the message of Jesus, the gospel says, this goal of using your freedom for yourself, this meaning and purpose you are looking for within yourself is too small. Forget being yourself. Be like God. That is a bigger and better picture of what it means to be a human, about what it means to follow Jesus. Be holy, for God is holy. And we are not left on our own to achieve this. God sends his own spirit within us to help us to live like him. Christians are restored to be people helped by God to be who we are created to be, to be able to please God and one day to be brought back to him. But life, it's not always that simple, is it? The trouble is, there is trouble still in this world. It is hard. There are still people and things that are broken. There are frustrations and ailments and worries and death, and we may feel like we are far from God, for we cannot see him. But we are not in the final act of history. His story has one more act to play out, and we see this final act in Revelations. There's a new heavens and a new earth where God will dwell with his people. God himself will be there to be God to his people. And God will remove all tears. There'll be no death or mourning or crying or pain. All of that suffering was part of the old order of things. Under this new government, everything will be made new, including us. But not everyone will make it. We are told that evil and rebellion will be dealt with. Those who disobey God, those who did their own things, those who were true to their sinful self, they will not inherit the new creation. They will go to the second death. I think Jesus was telling us the truth in the parable of the weeds. Come harvest time, the weeds will be collected and burned, and the wheat will be collected and brought into the master's barn. Likewise, in the story of the sheep and the goats, there will be a separation of people. Some will go to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I believe Jesus, when he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All those who are sincere in other faiths don't come to the Father through Jesus. For he is the only way. 
all those who trust in their own personal spiritual experience or their hard logic of science or stoicism are not trusting in the truth of Jesus. All those who think they live a good life, they've done enough good things, they haven't killed anyone, are not trusting in the life of Jesus, but their own. Christianity does not hold to universalism. Not everyone is going to go to the new creation. Only those in Christ, only those who are God's children, only those who confess that Jesus is Lord are saved. Those whose names are found in the book of life are those who will come to the new creation. Now we aren't told much about this new creation, only that there will be a new city, a new Jerusalem that is fit for the king of kings. We aren't told much about what we will be doing. What activities will we get up to? How will we relate to each other? What's the zoning plans in the city like? What type of public facilities are there? We get none of that. But in our section on Revelation 21, the main thing on which the author wants to hammer the main point about this new dynasty that this giant spotlight is on is that God himself will be there. This is the great climax, the great restoration of all things. God will dwell with his people. In the past, there have been tents, there have been temples, even Jesus and the Holy Spirit on earth to help with God being with his people. But here in this new heaven and this new earth, God is with his people forever. The great Christmas event that's embedded in our calendar every year will be real, ongoing. We will be with God forever. And all things will be made new again. Creation, us, our relationship with God will all be made new. Did you catch the overtones in Revelation 22 with the Genesis 2 reading? There's a river, and the tree of life is back, and it will fruit every month. There'll be no more curse in the land, and it will last forever and ever. And we will be made physically new, for this new creation is a physical thing, with city walls and gates and trees and streams. We will be restored with new resurrected bodies that will not wear out, that will not die. 1 Corinthians 15 is probably my favorite chapter in all of the Bible. In that we're told that we will be given an imperishable body, that we will change in an instant, that the sting of death has been taken away because of the victory of Christ. And John, he gives us a similar promise in 1 John 3.2. He says, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will change when we see Jesus. It's like a dad who goes away on a big business trip and comes back and brings presents for everyone. When Jesus returns, it says we're going to get two things. We will be like him, and we shall see him. In being like him, we may not become exactly like him. We won't look like him. We not, may not become all-knowing, all-powerful. We won't be able to control the weather. 
but we will be like him in his character. We will be perfect, sinless, able to worship God with a pure heart, able to love others without mixed emotions, uh, motives. We will be able to do what pleases God without struggle. We will be fully human, restored back to our original intention. We'll be also like God in that we will never die. We will live forever. Jesus will return in a body like his resurrected one, and we will get the same. And this body will be immortal. It will last the length of heaven, which is forever and ever. And there we will see Jesus, like he was at his transfiguration in all his glory. God has shown his great love for us and promises that one day we will be like Jesus, pure and everlasting. He did this not because we were good and loved him first, but because he is love. And we can now wait with hope, looking forward to that great moment where we will see Jesus. And as we wait, we can look up to him like a child to a parent. We can see what we will become, pure as he is pure, everlasting as he is everlasting. And in the new creation, our relationship with God will be made new too. No longer will we be distant from God because he will be there. There'll be no more sin or evil in our character. We'll be perfect and we'll be able to be in the presence of a perfect God forever as there will be no more death. Death is sad and terrible. It isn't natural. It wasn't in the original plans. It has been smuggled in via rebellion. Two weeks ago, I was away celebrating my 15th wedding anniversary with Hannah. Just before our dinner came, I got the message from Ian about Joe Mullins, who had just died. At that restaurant table, I replied, that is sad, but also good. He is home. Joe will be with God now forever in the new Jerusalem. Once a minister was given an eulogy for another minister who had died, Ramsey Pollard. He closed with, Good night, Ramsey. I'll see you in the morning. And that is the truth of it. It might be night here, but it is good morning there. And we can be assured of this because God said so. He said it. His words are trustworthy and true. That's the end of the matter. When a great Christian scientist, Michael Faraday, was dying, some journalists questioned him as to his speculations for a life after death. Speculations, he said. I know nothing about speculations. I'm resting on certainties. I know my Redeemer lives, and because he lives, I shall also live. When God says he is making everything new, even when it looks like night, even when it looks like it's going to death, we can have confidence in his word that the last act of history is coming, that God will deal with death and pain. Other secular worldviews don't have this confidence or assurance, but we do because God said so. And so while we wait... It may not be easy, but we are to resolutely set out 
for the new Jerusalem, knowing that between here and there, it will be hard. There will be pain. There will be suffering. There may even be death. But we have hope and confidence that in Jesus and his death, he suffered death so that he might taste death for everyone. It was by his death that he broke the power of death. Jesus paved the way and taken the sting of death away from us. And he promises that this is not the end. There is a new heaven and a new earth where we will be given a new body and be able to dwell with God forever. Benjamin Franklin wrote his own epitaph for his gravestone, obviously before he died. This is what he wrote. The body of Benjamin Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its leather and girding lies here. Food for worms. But the work itself shall not be lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, corrected and improved by the author. That can be our story too. For all who trust in Jesus and his saving work will be corrected and improved by the author as well. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven and from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. May we have confidence and be assured that these words are true and trustworthy. Amen.